It's a great joy for me to be here this morning, and I thank your wonderful Pastor Kelly for the invitation. I'm glad that she's had this time at the Festival of Homiletics and on vacation and some time for silence and renewal, and I know that when she comes back, she will be refreshed. So that will be a gift that she gives to you, and her time away is your gift to them. So thank you for that generosity. Pastors need that. So I'm glad you appreciate that. Uh, also, it's good to be back with, um, I've known Rosa for many, many years in the annual conference. We've served on committees together and uh, so appreciated her ministry through the years. And also Rita has been a good friend, so it's good to reconnect with her. So with all of that, thank you and let's be in the spirit of prayer together. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here together be acceptable in thy sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as, uh, as you all know and I know, this is the season of graduations across the country in this community from the university. And uh, I still get the chills when I hear pomp and circumstance and all the history behind that and what it means for those who are going forward. So I, I incorporated that theme of graduation into this morning's message because I think it fits so well. My father was a United Methodist pastor when he was in seminary at Candler in Atlanta, part of Emory University. Uh, he and my mom were taken in by two wonderful Methodist deaconesses. Women couldn't be ordained back in that time, so they were sort of like Methodist nuns who uh, lived and worked in the community center. Wonderful women. Who, uh, who just became so much a part of our family and so much a part of our own lives as kids growing up. So Aunt Catherine called me soon after I was ordained. She knew the whole appointment process in the itinerant ministry of the United Methodist Church, and she said, Honey, don't always think you're going where you think you're going for the reasons you think you're going there. So let me get that again. Don't always think you're going where you think you're going for the reasons you think you're going there. That was helpful when I was appointed to Ion, straight from Berkeley. Never heard of Ion. It was out in the country. Couldn't imagine why I was there. But it turned out to be one of the biggest blessings, and I go back there frequently, and I call it home in many ways. God has wonderful ways of surprising us. And I'm sure that you can all reflect back in your lives or forward for some of those of you here who are younger and remember what it was like to be surprised. How life changes along the way. Life is definitely a grand adventure. Life is a journey, as my mom always used to say, and we aren't given maps at birth. Like you, Estelle, these are two of my favorite uh, scriptures. I have lots of them, but I love the passage from 1 Corinthians uh, when Paul is writing to the people at the in the community of Corinth. It wasn't necessarily written as a love letter meant to be exchanged between two individuals, but as a community and how are people supposed to live together and love together. So it, it has been called the greatest treatise of love ever written, and it has been used and taken in in many various and sundry ways. And so much of it is about love, and this part is too, but what captures my mind and attention for this morning is that passage toward the end where, where Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. 
Now we know only in part, but then we shall understand fully, even as we have been fully understood. Different translation than what we heard this morning. But again, a reminder that on this side of heaven, we only have a partial view. And the bigger view, we need to trust to God to walk with us and help us see. There's mystery, there's grace, there's adventure in this life, this blessing of life that we are given, all mixed in there together. So this is a season of honoring graduates. Didn't I hear somebody graduated here this week? Somebody? I imagined it. But it is a time of graduation. The message, though, as I said, is for all of us. For those who are graduating or have looked forward to this time, I know it's an exciting time. It's a time of change. It's an anxious time for the young people and also for their families as they decide whether or not to stay here in the community or go to other parts of the, uh, the country or even some other parts of the world. It's an anxious and a wonderful time. How can it not be? And it's fun to look back and to think about how much these young graduates don't know. When I was in college, I knew everything. <laughs> but life has a way of teaching us to be humble. But there are many times along our life when we are either 16 or 18 or we're 72 or 89 when we hit those points in our lives that we might experience as roadblocks or crises of faith or what in the world is happening to me, is this all there is? I think all of us, regardless of age, have been there. And when you find yourself in that place, I encourage you to just stop and take a deep, deep breath and think of the words in counsel of Paul, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now we know only in part, then we shall understand fully, even as we have been fully understood. So it's a journey along the way, but we need to remember that we don't always have the whole picture. The title of the sermon this morning, Don't Place a Period Where God Places a Comma, was actually included. Well, we know that there's another lovely Denomination that has taken that as their theme, the United Church of Christ. But really, I think where it originated for most of us was when Gracie Allen wrote one of her last letters to her husband, George. Gracie died when she was 63. In that letter, soon before her death, she said to her husband, don't place a period where God places a comma. Now, George Allen might have thought that his life was over when his dear Gracie died. They were so close, or at least it appeared to be, they appeared to be from what we were, uh, what we were able to see from the outside. She was just 63, but George went on to live 100 until he was 100. He went on to do amazing things, and he inspired so many other people. So there may have been that time when he thought, that was it, but it wasn't, God bless him. I used to like to watch um, American Idol, 
one of the people that caught my attention and imagination was James Durbin. It was a number of years ago. I don't know if anybody uh, uh, remembers him, but he was kind of a rocker singer. But what I loved about him was his story of growing up and what he had to experience. He was diagnosed very early in his life with high-functioning autism, but he also was diagnosed and experienced Tourette syndrome. And so growing up had to be really tough. He was in Santa Cruz, and he was in special education, and there were those who had said to him along the way, you've kind of peaked out. You know, this is your life. You will struggle with this. You will struggle with being able to be in society. You will struggle with your body and its ticks and its twitches and its grunts and its groans. And sometimes people can be cruel, both young and old. So it wasn't easy for him. But he discovered along the way that when he sang, he was set free. No ticks, no twitches, no grunts, no groans. He could sing his heart out. And none of that was present in his being. So he made it a long way. There are tens and tens of thousands of young people, I think between the ages of 15 and 25, who used to audition to be on American Idol. He got right up into the top 10. He didn't make it to the very end. But when he was voted off, he had gained such an audience and such uh, a group of people who were encouraged and inspired by his story that the American Idol producers, for the one and only time, put on a concert for him or arranged a concert the next night over in Santa Cruz's hometown, and 20,000 people showed up. Because he was such an inspiration especially to the young people who might have felt different or ostracized or, you know, pushed off um, in one direction or another, hearing from the teachers of society that you're not going to go much farther than, farther than this. But he, he was the one who, in his precious way, helped them to see that they could be much more and go much farther than any disability or diagnosis that they were given. So if you're ever in a situation or position, and this happens all of our lives, when you think you've reached the end of your road or somebody tells you that you have and you really can't go any further, don't believe them. Trust in God to be with you through that part of the journey. For James Durbin, some encouraged him to put a period, but he knew it was a comma, and he went on to, uh, to be married to a woman who loved him just the way he was. Ticks and grunts and all a fan of his music, and together they have a son. In Revelation, we hear it again. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God has much more in store for us than we can usually imagine. Much more for the graduates who are about to sprout new wings and fly. It's so exciting to think where they will be, where they will go, what they will do, who they'll share life with. For all of us of any age who still have the privilege of getting up every day, living and breathing, life is such a gift. Speaking of graduations, there was a, I think it was about 10 years ago that a good friend of mine asked if I would speak to her daughter because she was totally devastated by the fact that she did not get her number one choice. She was not accepted to her number one choice. She had done everything she thought possible 
to qualify and to be accepted. She had a 4.4 you know, GPA. She'd been the president of the student body. She'd gone on Sierra service projects. She had done it all. And then the letter came, and she was totally devastated. So her mom said, uh, call Faith. And I remember I was in the parking lot at St. Mark's, and I was sitting in my car, and the phone rang, and it was her, and she was sobbing so hard she couldn't even talk. She just thought her life had come to a total end. All the dreams, all the preparation, all the years of her young life had gone in one direction. And here it was, just taken away from her. So she went to UCLA. Not a bad second choice, right? Poor thing. So she went to UCLA. And uh, it was the best thing that could have happened to her because she had been thinking about one profession, but she really felt a calling toward another. She met this wonderful man, and uh, together they had a great college experience. They both went on to law school. Now she's an attorney down in Los Angeles doing phenomenal work on behalf of the poor. And I'm doing their wedding in September. So if she hadn't gone to UCLA, she never would have met him. She never would have gone to law school. She never would have taken the bar. She wouldn't be getting married, at least to him, which is a very good thing because I think they're perfect together. So many disappointments or roadblocks along the way. I once read a story of a mother. This one I remember so clearly because I had a friend who, who had uh, some, some challenges and had to have some organ transplants. So this one was close. This one stuck in my mind about a woman who had three beautiful daughters. She was a single mom. So she worked very hard and long shifts in the hospital to support her kids. And she began experiencing some pain, which she just attributed to the fact that she was lifting heavy patients and being on her feet all day. But finally, it got to the point where she couldn't, uh, she couldn't stand it anymore. So she went to, to the doctor, and she was given the diagnosis of acute leukemia. And of course, she was devastated because she had these three beautiful daughters. She wasn't able to work. The uh, diagnosis did not look good at all. So every member of her family was tested to be a bone marrow um, provider. And not one of them matched. They had family members fly in from Puerto Rico. Not one of them matched. So they had to turn to the bone marrow registry, but the doctors and everybody said it's a one in five million chance. Those are not good odds. So one in five million chance, but you know what? It was a perfect match. They said it could not have been better. So she endured and went through everything that one has to do to have a bone marrow transplant, and it worked. After a year, that's the time period that somebody has to wait in order to ask permission to get in touch with one who has contributed an organ or the bone marrow, whatever. So she went back to the registry and she said, it's been a year, I would like to write a letter of appreciation to the donor. So they contacted the donor and the donor said, no. It's just enough to know that I made a difference. I really don't want to meet this person. Thank you very much. 
But this woman was a fighter, she was ruthless, she was insistent, and she would not take no for an answer. She felt she owed him her appreciation, not only on her own behalf, but she wanted him to meet her daughters as well, so they could say thank you for saving, you know, and giving us back our mom. Well, the long story short is there was that moment of time, actually moments, weeks, several months, when she thought she was facing her death and she was trying to prepare for her children's care and well-being and then this wonderful experience happens. And the long story short is he finally gave in. They finally met. They fell in love and they got married. (laughs) And now they're living happily ever after. What are the odds of that? I love stories like that. I love it. She saw it through a mirror dimly, but now she's experiencing it in a whole new way. The mirror is looking back in love and hope. I'm amazed as I know that you all must be as well when you look back in hindsight on your own lives, the twists, the turns, the examples. I didn't get my first choice either. I wanted to go to UC Santa Cruz. It was very popular back in the day, much like UC Davis is now. But I was an exchange student in Sweden. All the mail I sent, all the applications I sent, because we were living back in the day, went by boat. So everything I turned in was late. So I went instead to UC Santa Barbara and ended up transferring and graduating from UC Santa Cruz. But if I had not gone to UC Santa Barbara, my entire life would have been different because of the people that I met there, the commitments that I made, the travel that came from those experiences. Amazing what can happen. As I said, my father was a United Methodist pastor, and there was a period of time, it's kind of come full circle back in the United Methodist Church now, where you don't always know where the bishop's going to call and have you uh, appointed. But at that time, when many, many decades ago, it was not unusual for a pastor, always a male back then, to go to conference and have the bishop say, pack up, you're going here next week. My father had been told that he was going to be appointed to Concord, and we had gotten in the car and driven by the elementary school and looked at the house, and we had done all that, and we had our vision set on Concord. And he went to conference, and all of a sudden we were moving to Santa Clara. If we had not moved to Santa Clara again, my entire life would have been different. We had exchange students that lived with us. I went home with one of them for a year and lived in Sweden. I wouldn't, none of that would have happened. I never could have imagined myself working for a United States congressman. That would have been the furthest thing from my mind. But God does work in mysterious ways. Ami and I were friends long before he ever uh, ran for Congress. But I experience it now as my mega ministry. 
people say, you know, how, how can you go from the pulpit to politics? I say, sometimes there's not much difference. <laughs> but it, it's dealing with people. It's dealing with life. I know that Congressman Garamendi is your congressman, but what we do in a district office is to help individuals with any... Uh, any issues they have with federal agencies, so whether it be the VA or Social Security or you need a passport or you need a visa, that's the kind of work we do in the district office. Most of the politics happens back in Washington, D.C., and I like that it's way back there. But I couldn't have imagined. But sometimes when you keep your heart and your mind open or circumstances of life just hand you something you didn't know was going to be part of your life, then an appropriate response, even through the tears sometimes, is thank you. Let's figure this out together. I think of all the people that we read about and know through experience of the Gospels that Jesus touched, their lives were transformed. Remember the woman at the well? She thought her life was over. Everybody told her her life was over. She was alienated to the nth degree so that she didn't even go to the well to get water unless it was dark because nobody wanted to be part of her life. And Jesus came along and changed that and said, no, there's much more ahead for you than just that. There's much more. Think about all the people that came to Jesus for prayer and for healing. They were despondent and had given up hope. And Jesus touched them and healed them, turned them around, gave them back their sight, gave them back the functionality of their feet or their legs or their arms or whatever it was. It's amazing, amazing what can happen. I think of the Apostle Paul who wrote this beautiful, beautiful passage, but he was just awful for a long time to the Christians and probably to a whole lot of other people too. He was so arrogant and so mean and so awful. But the Spirit of Christ, it knocked him down. And when he got up and the scales fell from his eyes, he was a different person. Many had written him off. But then their task then, part of their job, part of their journey, was to open their hearts back up to him. Not to be the one who continued to judge and to crucify, but to say, okay, I see the transformation in you. And we can do that. We need to do that in our world too. There are so many people or countries or situations where we just say, not going there. They're done. They're awful. But they're still on the journey like we are. So grace, forgiveness, understanding, encouragement, Commitment to justice, not, it doesn't mean we get a free pass on all of this, but it means that we open our eyes and our hearts. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, really do learn much more from adversity than from privilege. So when those grueling times happen, it's also a time to say thank you. I'm not always sure, especially as I get older, and I realized that everything I knew, I don't necessarily know. I'm not always sure what the grand plan and purpose of life is. And perhaps none of us really know on this side of heaven. But I do know that life is a journey to be treasured and to be trusted and to be shared. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall understand fully, even as we have been fully understood. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end. God is with us always. So give thanks for the journey and the companionship of God who does not give up on us. Love one another, love yourselves, as God loves us the entire time. And in this journey of life, continue to be prepared to be surprised. Thanks be to God.